Boys and girls, how are you this morning? Good. I'm so glad to see you all here. Did you get a chance to come to Sunday school this morning and enjoy that? I hope you did. And everybody had a good time in Sunday school. It's always good to, to be in God's house and to open the Bible and learn and study about Him. And I'm glad you're here as well. Who's got the Happy Club bag? Keaton Lacey. Let me see, Mr. Keaton, what you brought in that bag. And I must tell you, I'm a little nervous. Oh, let's see what this is. What is this? A dog leash. Why? I don't think I've ever had anybody bring a dog leash before. Why did you bring a dog leash? He wanted to show that everybody needs to take care of their dogs. But tell me about your dog. My dog's a little funny and well. What kind of dog is he? What's his name? Beagle and his name's Mac. He has a beagle named Mac. Is that right? Does, does Mac bark a lot? I used to have a beagle and he barked all the time. Yeah, he barks a lot. He barks better He barks better than that. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, I know. Beagles, Mac barks a lot. I, Beagles bark. They, they like to bark. <clears throat> Keaton brought the leash because he wanted to show us that we ought to take care of our, our pets. And I guess that's a good lesson, boys and girls. In Genesis, God says that, that he created all the animals of the land and all the fish of the sea and all the birds of the air. And he gave them to man to subdue and have dominion over them. You know what that means? That means we're responsible for the animals and the birds and the fish. And that means if something happens to them or somebody doesn't take care of them, that it's our responsibility, it's our fault. And so how many of you have pets? Do you, t- do you take care of them or do you make your parents do all the work? We take care of them. You take care of them? You help, you help take care of them? I take care of them. You take care of Mac? You take care of them. That's good. Boys and girls, if we have pets, we need to learn the responsibility of taking care of those animals. And when we do that, then we'll be obeying what God said to subdue the animals of the land and the fish of the the sea and the birds of the air and have dominion over them. So just as Keaton helps to take care of Mac with this leash, we need to take care of the animals, the, the, the animals that need us. He's telling me a story about a goat. I'm telling you a story about where the goat bucked him. But now Mac went to the goat and the goat kicked him, bucked him. Yeah, but, but he has a big yard to run in. He, he has a, so Mac, Mac learned the lesson, didn't he, to stay away from the goat. He ran around a whole pond two times and he came back home. All right. I think, I think dogs learn the lesson pretty well. I wish we were that smart. We could learn not to do what, what bucks us. All right, boys and girls, let's say a prayer and thank God for all the animals that he's given us. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the animals and the birds and the fish. Help us take care of them and honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, thank you, boys and girls. We need to give the bag to a girl, Miss Sabina.
Where's Kayla? Hey, Kayla, will you take the bag home and bring back something easy for Brother Wayne next week? If you'd like to go to children's worship, you can go with Miss Sabina. Yeah. 
Thank you, Joe. Suzanne? We forget sometimes how hard it has been through the ages to be a Christian. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Will you please stand as we sing verses 1, 2, and 3 of Rise Up, O Man of God. God, I just thank you so much for this day, and you have blessed us already in this service, and I just thank you for it, and I could ask that you continue to bless us. Lord, you know what we need. God, but you want to hear us talk to you, and we're doing that now, and I just thank you for everything you're going to do for us and everything you've done. Be with us, God, as we give back just a small portion, God, of what you so generously gave to us, and pray that we'll use it to the purpose of your kingdom. In your precious name, amen.
like debt now placed on him, aware of all his suffering, aware of all my sin, forgiven by his mercy, for I'm no choir. Thank you, Joe and Suzanne. What wonderful music we've already enjoyed this morning. Not only is that a foretaste of glory divine, that's also a foretaste of this evening's worship service where our choir will be leading us under the direction of Ron uh, prior to his uh, reception in the Family Life Center. So I hope you plan on coming back this evening uh, and and, uh, worshiping together through music. Well, I painted myself in a corner this past week in the beacon where I said I was going to try to preach a sermon through every book of the Bible. 
starting with Genesis, on Father's Day. Where do you go in Genesis on Father's Day? Hopefully not the passage where Abraham is willing to sacrifice Isaac, but that's where I am. Genesis 22, verses 1 through 18. The testing of Father Abraham. I called him Father Abraham not only because it's Father's Day, but because in Bible school, just a a week ago, we were singing, Father Abraham had many sons. Do y'all know that song? Like, okay, good. (laughs) It's so nice not to be out there on a limb all by yourself sometimes, (laughs) like I am most of the time. Genesis 22, 1 through 18. Father Abraham, who had many sons, I'm one of them and so are you. So uh, what what better uh, passage for Father's Day? And what can we learn from this, this passage with Isaac? Genesis 22, 1 through 18. <clears throat> After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his ass, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the ass. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. But Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, He took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here am I, my son. Now here's the question. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in altar and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham put forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from Abraham and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And an angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you and I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And by your descendants shall all the nations of the earth bless themselves because you have obeyed my voice. The testing of Father Abraham. Let's pray. Father, as we come together on Father's Day,
I don't know many fathers here who would be willing to do what Abraham was willing to do. I know. I'm not sure I could. And yet sometimes you put us to the test just to see how much we love you and trust you and have faith in you. And if there's anything in our lives that precedes you in our priorities, Father, we need to lay those aside so that you can be the only one on the throne. And beside you, there is none other. Help us evaluate our own lives this day as we look at Abraham. In his name we pray. In your name we pray. Amen. When I was 29, I finally finished school. I was in the slow class. I had taken many tests in the course of my lifetime. They were never my favorite thing to do. How many of you enjoy taking tests? I don't see anybody. Thank you for being honest. Seldom did I feel prepared to go into an exam and have the confidence to say to myself, Wayne, you're ready, you're, you're prepared, you've studied all you can study. Let's go in there and just blow this test out of the water and impress the teacher and show how much you know. Maybe even teach the teacher a few things. Did you ever go into a test like that? I never did. Bottom line, we just don't like them. But they are necessary because preparing for them helps us to grow. And taking them reveals our strengths and our weaknesses so we can know what areas we need to work in. Genesis 22 focuses on the test of Father Abraham. And the question here that Isaac asks has to penetrate the heart of every parent. Where is the lamb, Isaac asks. Well, in Genesis chapter 8, there was the first lamb slain on behalf of the people that God might look down and forgive their sin, a lamb provided by God. Here, Isaac asked the question, and all the way from Genesis to Calvary, the question is going to be asked over and over again, where is the lamb? And finally, it's answered by John the Baptist, who was standing in the middle of the Jordan River. And in John 1, 29, he says, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The testing of our faith prepares us for what God has in store later on. And he starts with smaller tests. And as we succeed in them, the tests grow grow stronger and higher and more significant. As I've thought about this, I have four principles about tests that I want you to, to be familiar with, and I've listed them for you in your worship bulletin this morning concerning specifically Abraham's test. First of all, when you take a test, be sure you have your faith in the right object. And when you take a test in school, be sure you studied the right material. Because no faith is any stronger than the object in which that faith is placed. Let me say that again. No faith is stronger than the object in which that faith has been placed. And I think the reason we see so much lukewarm faith in our nation today is because of the lukewarm understanding we have of God. Too often we water God down and we make him too small. For instance, some people see God as a, 
as an authoritarian policeman who stands at the intersection with his hand outstretched, telling us to stop and go and enforce the law. And they see him watching closely over us just to see if we step outside the lines briefly so he can pull us over and and punish us in some way and, and slap some kind of divine fine on us. Other people see God as a cosmic killjoy who's looking over the walls of heaven just hoping to find somebody having a good time and saying, cut that out right now. Christians are supposed to be serious and glum and never have any fun. Some people see God as a heavenly cruise ship director whose job is to keep all of us contented and comfortable and happy. And on our cruise, we don't want the water to get too rough or the winds to blow too hard. We want the sun always to be overhead and the wind always at our back so we can always be happy and content. But there's just one problem with this. God isn't interested in your comfort so much as he is in your character. He's not interested in your happiness so much as he is your holiness. He's more interested in the person you are than the possessions you have. And he's more concerned, as we talked last Sunday, about your response to circumstances than he is the circumstances themselves. And those of us who hold any of these limited views of God will always experience an inadequate relationship with him. Many of us form a view of God that we carry into our adulthood. We we form it as children and it never develops past that understanding of God that's a child. We might be compared to the little girl who was found coloring a picture by her mother. And the mother said, honey, what in the world are you doing? And she said, I'm coloring a picture. And the mother says, well, what are you coloring a picture of? And with a proud little grin on her face, the girl said, I'm coloring a picture of God. The mother said, honey, nobody knows what God looks like. And with a little thought, the girl replied, well, when I get through with my picture, they will. And as with this little girl, most people picture God from their own experience. We're always painting God to look like us. If you go to different nations in the world, you'll see a God that looks like that culture, that race, even as we portray God to look like us. And in so doing, we make God too small and we distort his image. If you want to see a picture of God, look at Jesus Christ. Don't look at each other. Because God is in the business of fashioning us after, our, uh, after his image instead of allowing us to fashion him after our image. So what's the object of your faith? Is it in a God that you have made up or is it in a God who made you? Is it in a God who loves you with an everlasting love? Is it a God who created you with a plan for your life from the very beginning of eternity? And a God who loves you so much that he gave up his only son to save you from your sins. Is it a God who has seen everything you have ever done or ever will do and is still standing there with arms outstretched willing to forgive you? That's the God who molds us and shapes us to be like his son. Place your faith in the right object. Secondly, I want you to see here. There's a difference between testing and tempting because I have people say from time to time, well, I didn't think God tempts us. But look what it says in 
It doesn't say God tempts us. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here am I. What's the difference between testing and tempting? Alexander McLaren was a famous uh, Scottish pastor a couple of centuries ago. And he said, the difference between temptation and testing is, in temptation, we are told, do this pleasant thing and don't be hindered by the fact that it's wrong. In testing, we are told, do this difficult thing and don't be hindered by the fact that it's difficult. You see the difference? Temptation is to do pleasant things that are wrong. Testing is to do difficult things that are difficult, but are right. So God was testing Abraham and he said, Abraham, take your son, your only son. This was a son that Abraham had waited 25 years for. He was a son of promise. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 80 years old. And when God told them that they would have a son, they burst out laughing. And that's why they named their son Isaac, which name means laughter. He and Sarah laughed with joy upon the news of his arrival. But now, Isaac is probably in his early to middle teens. And those memories of those laughter-filled days and promised blessing must have been exploding in his father's mind. And yet that son that had stolen his father's heart 14, 16 years ago was to be surrendered to the Lord because God said, take him to the mountain that I will show you on Moriah and there sacrifice him. God, did I hear you correctly? You want me to sacrifice my only son whom you gave me to be the conduit for me to be the the light to the nations? God, are you sure? This week, I wondered what Abraham told Sarah. Do you think he told her anything? Or do you think he just told her, we're going off to sacrifice? If he did tell her what he was going to do, maybe the conversation was such that it could not be recorded in the Bible. I don't know. All I know is Abraham was obedient. And he put blankets on the donkey and then loaded the donkey with wood and got two of his men's servants and his teenage son Isaac And and probably they had done sacrifices before, so this was not unfamiliar to Isaac. And they started off on a three-day journey. Maybe Isaac didn't even question the sacrifice. Maybe he figured they would pick up an animal for sacrifice somewhere along the way. But can you imagine what, what was going through Abraham's heart as they were heading toward Mount Moriah? Three days, two nights they walked, 42 miles up to the mountain. And when it was in sight, Abraham told his two servants to stay behind. Isaac, you come with me. I don't know about you, but I would have started walking slower and slower at that point. Abraham takes the wood and puts it on Isaac's back. And he's walking up the mountain and the stones are, are crunching beneath his feet and the knife is slapping against his thigh and he's carrying the the fire, and he's thinking, God, what am I going to do when I get to the top? Please, God. And then Isaac asked the question that must have pierced Abraham's heart. Behold, Father, 
the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where's the lamb? There's an ironic twist of humor here. Where's the lamb? You know, it's almost like being captured by cannibals and asking what's for dinner. (laughs) It's sad. Abraham answered, God will provide the lamb. But I've wondered how he said that. Did he say, God will provide the lamb? Or or did he say, "I, I think God will provide the lamb. Was his voice trembling? Was he mumbling? Was it strong and firm with faith? Was he still questioning? Many of us like to feel God's job is to provide us power and peace and provision and that's all. But he's, he has promised us these things, but he's also promised us one more thing. And that's that there will be tests along the way. And in the testing, there is peace that passeth understanding that is to be found. And in the testing, we find that God's strength is always sufficient. Someone has said that it does not require faith to believe in God when he answers our prayers. It requires faith to believe in God when he does not. And I found in my own walk with God that it's those mountaintops of of faith being challenged that the greatest growth occurs. It's, It's when those times of testing come that the metal of our Our faith is put to the test and the building materials for our faith come together. Real faith is strengthened through tests. Superficial faith is obliterated by tests. So if you want the kind of faith that only God can give, you need to understand that there will be trials and and tribulations and tests. and, And those become the tools by which real faith is assembled. But then there comes a crisis of belief. And I get this from Henry Blackaby experiencing God. He says, when God reveals himself to you, there will come a point in your life where there's a crisis of faith, of belief, where you have to decide, am I going to take this leap of faith or am I going to stay behind? Am I going to trust God and do what he has called me to do? Or am I going to remain comfortable and complacent and safe? Right where I am. Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love. God didn't want Abraham's son. He just wanted to know if Abraham's will was submitted to his. God was asking Abraham, am I the Lord of your life? Am I the most important thing in your life? Abraham, I've noticed how Isaac has become the the light of your eye. And and sometimes I'm afraid that, that Isaac might be so important to you that that you have become to worship him a little bit. And so, Abraham, I'm going to have to test you in this. It reminds me of the the corollary passage in the New Testament where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, do this and this and this. And, And he says, I've done all that. Then he says, sell all your possessions and give them to the poor and come follow me. And the ruler went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. Jesus was able to look into the heart of the rich young ruler and see what it was that stood in the way of his undivided love and loyalty to God. And he challenged him at that point. And here I think God's doing the same thing with Abraham. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and sacrifice him. 
as I thought about that, I began to wonder, do I love God more or the things that he has given me more? It's hard to hold tightly onto God when your hand is full of things. I remember the dilemma that Jim Elliott faced, martyred missionary to the Aka Indians, when he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And there comes a time when God asks us, What do you love the most? Do you love me or do you love the things that I give you? And that crisis of belief says, Let go and trust God. So what is it today that God is asking you to let go of? What is it today that can possibly short-circuit your relationship with God? And I imagine with every person here, every individual has something different that could potentially stand in the way of their relationship with God. And only God can tell you, reveal to you what that is. And he will if you really want to know. But if you don't want to know, don't ask him. Because he may be telling you through the megaphone of pain or loss or adversity. He may be saying, let go of all those things so you can hold on more tightly to me. What I want you to know finally is following testing, there comes reward. Just as Abraham's hand was poised to plunge the knife and to his son, that the angel said, Abraham, Abraham. Thank goodness Abraham heard the voice of the Lord. It wasn't the first time that, that Abraham had walked by faith. Because in test after test, God had been bringing Abraham along so that when this test arrived, his faith was ready. One of the rewards of faith is, is that it it tunes your ears in to hear the voice of God. It's kind of like those, the old radios where you can turn the dial and get different radio stations. Do you remember those? And if the dial gets off just a little bit, you get static. But you get back on the station and you get a clear signal. That's what happens. If you listen to God and if you trust Him and if you follow Him and if you place your faith in Him, that dial gets tuned in so you can hear God's voice more clearly. But if you disobey, and if you walk your own way away from God, that dial gets turned a little bit and you begin to hear some static and you wonder, why can't I hear the voice of God anymore? Well, it may be that you've been disobedient in some point in your life. And God's still speaking, but you just haven't gotten tuned in to the station. What would have happened that morning if Abraham had raised that knife when the voice rang out, but Abraham couldn't recognize the voice of God. Thank goodness. When God spoke Abraham, Abraham, he said, here am I, because he was able to hear. And God provided the ram, and Abraham said, this place shall be called, the Lord will provide. You know, when I go through times of testing, I don't usually think of those places as Places where God provided, unfortunately. Rather, I think of them as they deal with me. Here I got tested. Here I messed up. Here God put me to the test and I failed. But notice Abraham's perspective. 
The lens through which he looked was always that of faith. Rather than focusing on the challenge through which he had gone and the emotions he had suffered, Abraham focused on the God who provided. And that's the reward. And following this, Abraham was ready to obey and continue to follow God wherever he led because Abraham had passed the most difficult test of all and God knew that nothing interfered in his relationship with the Lord. I think this story is really just a dim foreshadowing of what happens 2,000 years later when one greater than Isaac steps onto the scene. Listen to the scripture once more and notice the similarities. Abraham, take your son, your only son. You remember John the Apostle says later, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Abraham loved his only son. 2,000 years later, God said of his son at the Jordan River, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Genesis 22, 6, Isaac is bearing the wood on his back as he goes to the place of sacrifice. Back to the future, we look down the road of suffering where Jesus would bear his own wood to a mountain called Calvary, and it would be the wood of sacrifice for you and me. And did you hear what Abraham said? The Lord will provide... As always, the only sacrifice acceptable to God is the sacrifice that he provides. And finally, Abraham takes Isaac and binds him and lays him on the altar. And and you know, if Isaac is in his young teens by now and and Abraham is over a a hundred, Isaac could have overpowered his father and beaten him off and said, What are you doing to me, old man? You think you're going to tie me down here on the altar? I don't think so. Have you gone crazy? But willingly, Isaac laid himself on the altar. And 2,000 years later, one greater than Isaac would say, I have the authority to lay down my own life and take it up again. I do this to fulfill the will of my father. Nobody took Jesus' life. He willingly gave it. What a picture of Isaac portrays of another son who would one day lay down his life on a mountain called Calvary 2,000 years later. I don't know, maybe today God has you on your own mountaintop of suffering, of testing. Maybe you're there right now and you can see in the past how, how God hasn't just thrown you out there on, into the deep end, but he has been bringing you along and, and putting you through The test of faith. And they haven't been easy. But you've trusted and you've believed and you've grown and and he has progressed through that and and on and on. And and now all of a sudden here you are and you don't know what to do. But somehow you hear the voice of God. and And he's saying, trust me. Believe. Have faith. Take that step. It might not make sense. But in trusting comes greater faith and greater reward and greater blessing. It's a small sacrifice that we have to make 
in comparison to the sinless one who laid down his life that we might be saved. So may our faith in God be strengthened in and through times of testing. When those times come, remember to place your faith in the right object. Remember there's a difference between testing and tempting. Tempting is doing pleasurable things that are wrong. Testing is doing difficult things that are right. Testing involves a step of faith, a crisis of belief. And it's always followed by reward. The greater the test, the greater the reward. Be faithful. Trust God. And he'll see you through. Shall we pray? God, on Father's Day, I guess it's naturally for you to challenge us with the question of of whom do we love the most? What do we love the most? Is it our possessions, our resources, the things that we have grown accustomed to trusting in that we have made with our own hands? Is it our spouse or our children? that we may love so much and yet may interfere with what's supposed to be our first love, which is you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, show us where we need to grow, (laughs) what our test may be, and help us be faithful when it comes Whatever the, whatever the cost, help us love you most. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> we have an invitational hymn this morning. I give all to you. I'll be at the front to receive you. We had Scott Upshaw and Medford McDonnell and Roland St. John to join in our early service upon profession of faith and baptism. If it's your will to follow God, to take a step of faith a crisis of belief and profess publicly that He is your Lord and Savior and you give your life to Him. You need Him to cleanse you and forgive you of your sins. You need to make that public. You come forward. Rededicating your life. If you'd like to join this church, you come. I'll be here to receive you. Let's stand together as we sing.